I've seen how environmental and natural resource issues get woven throughout conflict, before, during and afterwards. I think for really effective peace building, we have to bring these issues at the negotiating table and make sure that we think about environmental and natural resource issues when trying to address conflicts. Geneva Peacecast, a series on solutions from Geneva Peace Week, produced by Interpeace and Fondation Hirondelle. Natural resources and the way they're controlled and distributed can have an important role to play in peace. Whether it's diamonds, oil, land or water, research has shown that the management or the mismanagement of our planet's natural wealth can have a direct impact on conflict, violence and instability. I'm Jackie Dalton and my guest is Ollie Brown, who is a specialist in peacebuilding, natural resource management and environmental politics. He's an associate fellow with the Geneva Centre for Security Policy and with Chatham House. Ollie, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, you believe that a focus on natural resource management should be a priority. Could you start by taking us to one of those places where you've worked and unpick a little bit the relationship between natural resources and conflict? Sure. I had um, I had the great pleasure of spending a couple of years in Sierra Leone in West Africa between 2010 and 2012. And for those who remember, Sierra Leone had this devastating civil war between 1992 and 2001. Um, tens of thousands of people killed, links to uh, sort of cross-border links to Liberia and the Charles Taylor regime, um, and the the rebels um, uh, were were funded in large part by the trade in illegal diamonds. Um, there was the Revolutionary United Front, and those of you who've who've seen the Leonardo DiCaprio film Blood Diamond might might remember the story. But this rebel group was making between twenty-five million and one hundred twenty-five million dollars a year from from exploiting these these diamonds in the eastern part of Sierra Leone and. The war devastated the country. It put development back in the country, um, and and it, it 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 you know destroyed the lives of thousands of people. But that war continued for longer because of the exploitation of diamonds. It changed the incentives of the of the fighters. It meant they were about controlling this that particular area, and it also complicated peace deals afterwards. So. The kind of the way that manage that natural resources were managed in Sierra Leone in the run up to the conflict helped to kind of create tensions, create this sense of injustice that helped fuel the original kind of rebellion. The the exploitation of these diamonds um, helped to kind of continue the fighting, paid for soldiers, paid for weapons. Uh, and then, you know, in the aftermath of, of of that civil war, Sierra Leone really struggled to put back normal, you know, governance over natural resources uh, because it was trying to unpick the legacies of a decade of civil war. So I arrived nine years after the war had actually finished, but you know they'd only just put in place their environmental protection agency. Now, Sierra Leone is a country the size of Switzerland. It had nine people in the in the Environmental Protection Agency um, and, you know, a budget of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, huge challenges to 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 manage, you know, environmental issues, as well as dealing with all of these legacies of the conflict. So direct damage from the battle, from the fighting, indirect damage in terms of the sort of complete breakdown in environmental governance. More than 80% of the country had been given over to mining, um, exploration contracts um, and, and very serious problems to deal with. So in the case of Sierra Leone, you saw how kind of the way that environmental 
issues and natural resources were managed um, had, had a role sort of before the conflict, during the conflict and after the conflict. And that's why I kind of argue that these issues are really important to, to see in the context of, of peace and peace building. So at the moment we have more conflicts um, currently ongoing in the world than we've had you know, for the last 20 or 30 years. And we've seen an uptick in, in violence in, in various places around the world. And, and that's had huge environmental consequences um, for the people uh, living in those countries, as well as some sort of environmental causes. Albeit, I sort of want to emphasize that, you know, the environment, natural resources aren't, you know, very rarely are they the sort of sole cause of conflict. They're often involved in a kind of, in a, in a way, but it can be difficult to unpick what's going on. But we've seen in Syria and Iraq major environmental damage. In Afghanistan, we have obviously the new Taliban government is facing the second serious drought in in four years. Um, you know, 11 million people facing humanitarian need, seeing the impacts of climate change affecting the country and, and undermining the ability of that country to feed itself, which is one more challenge that, you know, this new Taliban government that until recently was a guerrilla force and is now trying to deal with. Um, and if they care about the Afghan people, they're going to have to find a way of trying to feed the Afghan people despite the impacts of climate change. So your work is about really trying to use the environment to become a way of bringing people together as opposed to becoming a source of division. And what have you learned about how to do this? That's a, that's a big question. I mean, I guess the, the, the most important thing for me is that, you know, we, we all share the same planet. We all share, we all breathe the same air. We all need to share resources. We all face common you know, environmental challenges like climate change and, and pollution. And the idea is that if you can get different people from conflictual sides across the table to cooperate over some of their, you know, their shared environmental challenges and their common resources, then maybe what you can do is you can, you can help to put politics to one side and create those kind of lines of, of dialogue between different, di between different groups. I mean, this has been tried, you know, in lots of places around the world and lo lots of times. And there's some really kind of innovative solutions that have that have come out where you actually can help to kind of preserve the environment as well as dealing with a political problem. To give you one example, um, in 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 a few places around the world, there have been what, what are called transboundary peace parks where you might have a contested border. But both sides say, well, we're not going to finally resolve that border. We're going to make the whole area into a national protected area. And it sort of sidesteps this question about, you know, whose land is whose um, and allows you to or allows these these kind of contested uh, groups to come together over a common goal. Um, so I think what we what we need to do is we need to find ways in which we can focus on the kind of environmental issues that unite us rather than the political problems that divide us. And you're currently involved in an effort with about 80 different organisations, which focuses on developing a kind of collective vision for environmental peace building. Could you tell us a little bit about where you think this uh, work is headed and a kind of a flavour of what this vision might look like? So this is an amazing sort of multi um, organization exercise, multi-author exercise in thinking about environmental peace building and, and where it's going in future. So, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, we've kind of realized that 
I, I guess as I was saying that first environment is kind of woven throughout conflict before during afterwards and that kind of shared resources and environmental common environmental challenges can help bring groups together so we, we've sort of learned about that in theory we we're developing all of this kind of practical experience of trying to do this around the world in in various ways and so we have we're, we're producing a kind of report um, which has something like 150 different uh, authors writing 50 submissions around different visions for the future of environmental peace building. Um, and it's, it's almost like an ecosystem of different voices as to, as to you, know, where, um, you know, where the lessons are and, and, and what, where we need to go next in this, in this area. And which are some of the big ideas which you've heard so far that seem most exciting to you? So there, there are loads of different, there are loads of different ideas in there. I, um, the fact that we're, you know, we're moving towards a, um, uh, I guess almost like a fifth Geneva Convention of, of what is acceptable in terms of collateral environmental damage during conflict. So we're sort of slowly changing the norms of war and, and saying, well, look, it's, it's not acceptable to deliberately bomb a water source or whatever else. Um, uh, so there's, there's that, there's the experience that's come out in terms of local level peace building between communities, uh, all the way up to, to international, you know, cross-border stuff. And the importance of thinking about you know, involving um, young people and indigenous voices and, and, and different, different groups uh, in, with their different visions of what the environment means to them and how we can cooperate best over environmental protection in those kind of larger peace building discussions. Looking at where things are headed with climate change, uh, the projections that we're going to, we're expected to reach 9.9 .9 billion people on the planet by mid 2050, these, of course, are all going to really exacerbate existing pressures on the environment. Do you sometimes feel that these efforts are going to be a real uphill struggle, to put it mildly? Look, I'm, I was born an optimist. I mean, I think we have huge challenges. And what we're realising as a kind of peace building community is that these are some of the trends that are going to shape the future of conflict, climate change, population um, you know, new technologies and so on. And, and we need to, we need to, as peace builders, be aware of where those trends are taking the world um, and, and think about how they're going to affect conflict, but also how they're going to affect peace building. And so mediators, people who are trying to negotiate an end to conflict, increasingly need to be aware of what climate change means and also where these trends are taking these countries um, that we're trying to support stability in. Um, and so if, if we can do that, then I think we can, we can you know, take, a, take the opportunities, find the silver linings in some of these kind of worrying trends. Um, because, you know, overall, the world has historically over the last hundred years become a more peaceful place. Um, and, and we need to make sure that um, we anticipate what's happening with climate change. We anticipate what's happening with environmental degradation. Um, and, and we adapt to it and, and avoid some of its worst impact. So continuing then in an optimistic vein, could we end with your top three recommendations on who needs to do what on environmental management to help bring about a brighter and more peaceful future? So coming down to three is a, is a tough challenge. I mean, I, I think the first one is at the sort of top level, we have to understand that environment is linked all the way through conflict and make sure that, you know, 
in places like the UN Security Council and 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 onwards, um, that peacekeeping, peace negotiations, those big kind of inter uh, international negotiations consider the role of environmental um, environmental issues and natural resources. So that has to happen. Then I think we need to build up our experience of of you know how can we do this in a practical way um, between communities between countries and then thirdly i think we need to make sure that we're listening to lots of different voices um, bringing in you know people uh, with different perspectives young people indigenous people um, different marginalized com communities to make sure that, um, that that we're kind of addressing all of these issues at the same time I'm Jackie Dalton from Fondation Hirondelle, and I was talking to Ollie Brown about environmental management and peace building. Ollie, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Geneva Peacecast, produced by Interpeace and Fondation Hirondelle.